St. Werburgh's Derby. Okay. Um, half term is coming. Half term doesn't, isn't just a big deal for uh, young parents. It's a big deal for grandparents. Uh, so my wife is off tomorrow morning down to Guildford to look after our two grandsons. I'm going down on Thursday. And I'm going on th down on Thursday because uh, at the end of the week, I think on the Saturday, the 1st of June, I will have been a vicar for 50 years. Can you believe that? Yes, you can believe that. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. And uh, there's going to be this rather pathetic, uh, in, um, in, uh, uh, this rather pathetic occasion. There's going to be a little group of people gathering in Guildford to uh, wish me well for the next uh, 40 or so. So you've got a, a. How long have you been ordained? Five. Five. Ordained is the word we use to say the moment at which you became a vicar. So I'm wittering that. Now, in the middle of, middle of last century, I became a vicar, and uh, it's 50 years. But, but having, what I want to say really is that therefore I've been preaching for about 50 years, but I still get nervous when I'm invited to preach at St. Werbs. And I think it's because I'm older than the rest of you by about 20 years. And so I get a bit nervous about whether I can uh, really relate to you. So just bear with me. We're looking at the story of Joshua. No, 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 not Joshua. Of Joseph in the Old Testament. We've been looking for three or four weeks at Joseph. And his story uh, takes up 14 chapters of Genesis, from chapter 37 through to chapter 50. And it seems an awful lot of space to give to one guy. So the question really is, why should that be? And I think the answer is that Joseph's story marks the end of one particular stage and the beginning of another stage in the long story of God's redemption of his world. So you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and creation and the fall and people uh, re re rebelling against the living God and God deciding to redeem his world, bring it back to him. And it's a long story. He decides to do it through a particular person and through a nation and ultimately in Jesus Christ. So in chapter 12 of Genesis, after the fall and... and uh, the remaking of the world. Can we close that door? Because it's uh, we're going to get a lot of noise coming through. Would you mind? Um, we come to chapter 12. And chapter 12 is the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then Joseph. And Joseph is, is a bit of a bridge. Because he's the link into Moses. And uh, the children of Israel go down to Egypt. And then eventually... Uh, returning to the promised land and God's redemptive purposes moving on. So it's, it's a big, big picture. And into that big picture, which begins in Genesis 1, we have these um, 14 chapters devoted to this one guy, uh, Joseph. Now, the story of Joseph is the story of a, dis, uh, of, of a dysfunctional family. Uh, most families have their oddities, I have got five grandchildren, uh, three children, and one wife. And uh, we are a bit of an odd lot, really. Uh, we're not very good at, at proper celebration. So earlier this year, I turned 75. And as the time approached, I'm thinking, 
I know the family are going to do something to mark this. But as it got nearer and there was no sign of any preparations, I think it's, it's a secret, my sort of, I gave in and I said to Anna, oh, she said, I'm glad you've mentioned it. We're away that weekend. Can you look after the children? I said, yeah. yeah, thanks, Anna, thanks. So it passed without a ripple. So I'm now thinking, 50 years since I became a vic, there'll be a celebration. Not a bit of it. It's the end of half term, they're away again. Uh, so I'm going down to Guildford uh, for um, that celebration. So our family is sort of just about the right side of being dysfunctional. Joseph's family are totally dysfunctional. There is the father figure, Jacob, uh, who is known as the great deceiver, a slippery character. God's man, but still very slippery. He has 12 children from four different women. And uh, he, uh, the, the 11th child is uh, Joseph. And right at the beginning of the story, in fact, the, the story of Joseph div divides in, into two parts, really. Chapter 37 through to chapter 41. We have the story of Joseph leaving home. Now, he leaves home because his father Jacob uh, has a favorite, and the favoritism is, the favorite son is Joshua. Oh, goodness me, it is Joseph. And uh, because uh, the father Jacob has that favoritism, the, the other brothers are jealous and angry. And because they're jealous and angry, they hate Joseph. And because they hate him, they want to get rid of him. And the story in chapter uh, 37 is they put him into this pit. And then the eldest brother says, um, we can't just let him die here. Let's sell him into slavery. And he goes into Egypt. He goes to stay in the house of a guy called Potiphar. He's wrongly accused of raping Potiphar's wife. He is thrown into prison. In prison, he discovers that he's got a gift of interpreting dreams, and he's hoiked out and brought before Pharaoh, who's had a disturbing dream about famine. Joseph uh, interprets the dream correctly and is raised in honor in the country. So from the age of 17, when we first meet him, to the age of 30, there's this steady movement in his life. At 17, he's an arrogant teenager. At 30, he's the prime minister of Egypt. So that's the rise of Joseph, who's come out of this severely dysfunctional family. Favoritism, arrogance, uh, jealousy, hatred, and anger. And then the second half of the story is really, again, the story of the family. Jacob, back in, uh, in Canaan, realizes that the famine is coming, so he sends the uh, 11 brothers, he actually only sends 10 of them, he keeps the youngest, Benjamin, who he's very, very fond of as well, back home, and he sends the other 10 down into Egypt. And they meet, uh, for the first time in 20 years, the brother who they'd assigned to death, or at least sold into slavery. And it's a fascinating story because... Uh, um, Joseph, who's now the prime minister of the country, and therefore a very powerful guy, recognizes his brothers, but his brothers don't recognize him at first. Not quite sure how that works, but that's how the text says. And uh, Joseph 
enters into mind games with them. He pretends not to know them, and he says, I think you're spies, and I'm going to lock you up and imprison you. And there's a lot of bartering around. And eventually he says, look, you can go home as long as you can bring, you tell me you've got a younger brother called Benjamin. I want to see him. He certainly did, because he loved Benjamin. And he said, I want you to go home and bring Benjamin back. And it's a long story. They go back, uh, and then they go back again with Benjamin. And uh, again, he still, he still reckons not to know who they are. And there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of mind games. But eventually, eventually, he reveals himself to them, and there is forgiveness, and there is reconciliation. So that's the story of uh, Joseph, a story of a, a dysfunctional family. But one guy, the 11th son... The favorite, because he was the firstborn of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. Um, it's the story of him, despite all that, all, all that uh, depressive background, rising to the top as, as a political figure, but also as a spiritual giant. And when we get to chapter 50, there's the final bit where he forgives his brothers for all they've done against him. And it's that bit about forgiveness that I want to share with you just for a few moments. Can I just read that passage? The sermon is now about to begin. That was just hello, really. Uh, but, but it's quite a short sermon. Uh, will it come up on the screen? Chapter 50 and verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. This is Jacob speaking to them, they say. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended, harm to, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them, and spoke kindly to them. Now, this is a story, and, and uh, Phil the boss said, can you just tell this little bit through the lens of um, forgiveness, through the lens of uh, Joseph forgiving his brothers and choosing to forgive them? So I just want to share with you two or three things from these verses about forgiveness out of this dysfunctional family. Uh, the first thing is that to choose to forgive is a wise thing to do. Joseph did the wise thing because it was the right thing. It says there that, that when they told their story, Joseph wept. Now, what is going on there? Well, I think there are a number of things going on. At one level, it may well have been that Joseph just saw through their silly story. I mean, they were deceivers like their father, and so these ten brothers are terrified 
that the Prime Minister of Egypt is going to zap them. So they come up with this cock and bull story. They said, oh, as it happens, just before your father and my father died, he said to us, go and tell uh, Joseph um, that I've asked him, I've asked you to ask him to forgive you. What a load of rhubarb, really. Um, there was no way that Jacob would have done that. But the brothers are so desperate to be let off the hook that they come with this story. And it may well be uh, that Joseph just wept uh, at their deceit. And yet, he knew that it was right, it was the wise thing to do to forgive them. I think a deeper reason goes back to the mind games. Why, when the brothers came down to Egypt, first of all, looking for grain, and he, the prime minister, saw them and knew them, why didn't he then say, look, it's my brothers. Uh, welcome. I want to forgive you. But he didn't. He tagged them along. He uh, said, I think you're spies, and, and so on. I think Joseph was playing for time in order to get his emotions in order so that the forgiveness could be real and thorough. I think the hurts that he had received over the years by their rejection of him went very, very deep. And I think sometimes it takes the wounds that we have in life a long time to heal. And sometimes it's not possible immediately to offer forgiveness. Even though we know that it is the right thing to do, it takes time. So if tonight, and at each point in this very brief discourse, um, I, I want you to, to maybe think yourself in the situation and say, is there someone in my life who I need to forgive for the wrongs that they have done to me? Is there some situation, some social justice issue or, or just a personal thing within the family or friendship that I need to um, forgive? Or is there a situation where I need actually to receive forgiveness, which isn't always the easiest thing in the world? Then the first thing from this story is that it, to forgive is the wise thing to do. But it will take time because hurts go very deep. So tell God about it and be patient with him. It is not easy, but it is the right thing to do. Wisdom is letting go of the past or any hope of a better past. Forgiveness is letting go of any hope of a better past. The past has gone and we cannot change it necessarily. Some situations can be changed and retrieved, but, but, but if not, it has to be laid to rest. And hope for the present and for the future lies in letting go of the past. So I don't know whether this is speaking to anyone here tonight where you're in a situation where you have been deeply wronged and you need to offer forgiveness. Uh, please know, and I need to know it as well, that it is the right thing to do. It is the wise thing, but it may take time. The second thing to note is the effect of offering forgiveness. When Joseph says to his brothers, look, I want to forgive you, he says twice, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. 
the situation was that because of the wrong they had done to him, they were terrified. Maybe all that 20 years, they wondered what had happened to Joseph. Maybe they pushed it out of their mind, but it was still there. And then suddenly they go to get grain, and who's the blooming prime minister? But the brother, they've wronged. They think, oh my goodness me. And from that moment on, they are filled with fear, especially when Joseph treats them harshly, as he does for the reasons that I've suggested. So when Joseph says, I'm going to forgive you, what that does to the brothers is to take away all that fear. Some years ago, um, when I was vicar in Guildford, uh, I had uh, a church warden uh, called Michael Thornton, OBE, remarkable man. Uh, we called him the Guildford Godfather because anything that happened in the town was significant. Any building work, uh, any new pr project, Mike was somewhere in the middle of it. He's a real fixer. Uh, and he died. He was 90. I visited him regularly in the old people's home where he was. And uh, we had a fantastic funeral. The place was absolutely packed to town dignitaries and goodness knows what. His wife um, remained alive and was in the same old people's home. And I never visited her. I didn't, I didn't find her as easy as I did Mike. She could be quite a, a stiff character. I knew that I, sh I wrote to her, but I knew I should have gone. And as the years went by, she lived for about another five years. Every time I went past that old people's home, I had this sense of guilt and fear that I should have gone to see her, and I never did. And she died. And the day after she died, the phone went, and it was her daughter. She had three children, daughter and two boys, one living in America. And Rachel, the daughter, said to me, David, mum's died. We long for you to take the funeral. You were so much part of our, our, our family's life for so many years. And suddenly, all that sense of guilt and fear that I'd neglected, Ruth, was taken off my shoulders. Didn't make me less culpable. I, I, should, I should have seen her, but I didn't. But suddenly, there... Well, I don't know whether the feeling they were forgiving me because they must have known I'd not want to see her, but they were more gracious than I was. And they suddenly said, we just want you to be involved in this funeral. You're so important to our family. And it, it may be that it was a little bit like that with the ten brother, the 11 brothers. Benjamin uh, was there by this time. And uh, when Joseph says, I forgive you, the fear was taken out of their lives. And for Joseph himself, the act of forgiveness produced a vulnerable release in his life. When you read these chapters, nearly every other chapter, you find Joseph in tears. He's forever crying. He's a powerful man. He's the prime minister. Prime ministers do cry, don't they, as we've just discovered. Uh, but this prime minister just cried and cried. Please note, men... It is uh, powerful, uh, strong men who cry, not weak. It isn't weak to cry. When I do my hands on my head, uh, just because I, I feel this is an important point to make. And Joseph wept. And when, uh, and he wept uh, uh, because I think the act of forgiving just brought home to him how deep the wound had been 
that he'd been carrying all that time. Despite the fact that he was a, he, he was a powerful man, he was a very vulnerable man. He'd been rejected by his family. He longed for their acceptance and their love. And suddenly, when he forgives his brothers, the family is brought together again, and he's overwhelmed. So, for instance, in chapter 42 and verse 22, the brothers are all there uh, with him, and he's in another part of the room or wherever it was. And they don't know that he can hear what they're saying. There's an interpreter going somewhere in, in the picture. And uh, he overhe overhears what they say. And Reuben, one of the brothers, says to the others, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep. And then he came back and spoke to them again. And a little bit later, when he meets the young brother, Benjamin, the, 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 the baby of the family, treasured now by Jacob and loved by Joseph uh, before Joseph um, uh, was put into the pit because both Joseph and Benjamin were the sons of, of the mother, Rachel, who was the most loved uh, wife of Jacob. Are you with me? Uh, so there's a great bond between Joseph and Benjamin. And when eventually he sees Benjamin, because Benjamin doesn't come down the first time, he comes the second time. Um, as he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? So he's pretending he doesn't know them. And he said, God be gracious to my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went to, into his private room, and there he wept. So the act of forgiveness releases in Joseph some pent-up sadness and hurt which he'd been carrying. So I want to say to you that if tonight you need to offer forgiveness, you will release the person that you are forgiving from a lot of hurt and fear, and you yourself will be released into a new place. So, um, the wisdom of offering forgiveness, the, the uh, effect of it, and then the rationale of it. Why is Joseph able to forgive? And the answer is, of course, his framework is the presence of God. And he can forgive his brothers because he knows that he himself has been forgiven by God for the things that he's done. He knows that God is the judge of his brothers and it was not his job to judge them. He says to them, am I as God to you? Only God can sort them out. So Joseph is quite relaxed in a way at this point. He says, you're in God's hands. Moreover, I'm in God's hands. And this lovely verse, chapter 50, verse 20 you meant it for harm when you threw me into that pit. But God meant it for good. And out of their action, goodness comes. And Joseph is able to see this big framework that he's in God's hands. And we can forgive because we're held in the hands of God. God is judge. 
God controls and God has forgiven us. And those of us who now, unlike Joseph, stand on the right side of the cross of Jesus Christ knows, uh, know that that forgiveness flows full and free. And we're going to sing about that uh, at the end, aren't we, Matt? How deep the Father's love for us. Not that. We've sung before. Yeah. Uh, before the throne of God above, I have a, a perfect plea. Uh, Matt uh, sent an email earlier and said, like, I'm doing the music on Sunday evening. Um, are there any songs you want? And I said, well, I'm not very good with the very contemporary songs. I'm still getting the head round uh, St. Werberg's. Uh, but if you could find something from the olden days, like 1990, <laughs> that, that has got a tune and a melody to it, you would just rejoice the heart of an old man. And he'd come up with this, and he'd gone better than I asked, because it was written in 1863. So, Matt, you're a good man. Uh, and we're going to sing that, and I want you to sing it really well, because it talks about the forgiveness that flows from the cross to us, which show that we are forgiven, and therefore we can offer forgiveness to us. I, 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 must, I must finish. Um, my final point is the beauty of forgiveness. Beauty of forgiveness. Because when Joseph forgives, uh, he himself is blessed, his brothers are blessed, and out of that blessing, the nations around are blessed. It talks about um, the, the goodness and the blessing which will flow. The salvation is the word they use, wholeness. When there is forgiveness, there is new wholeness not just in the situation where the forgiveness is going on, but it will cascade out like ripples in a pond. And in this case, in God's mercy, it, 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 it ripples out over Egypt and goodness knows other nations which are relief from the famine because of Joseph's uh, wise premiership in, in sorting out the, the food situation. So I want you to know that when you forgive and when I learn to forgive, you do not know where the blessing will end up. It will go on and on and on. It is a beautiful thing. Now, I don't know whether you can remember those four, four headings, uh, the wisdom, the effect, the rationale, and the beauty. But do you know what that spells? W-E-R-B. Werb? St. Werbergs? I'm not just a pretty face, <laughs> which is just as well. So tomorrow morning when you're thinking, what was that funny old man talking about last? Oh, he's talking about forgiveness. What were the points? I have no idea. Yes, I can remember. Word. And, and it'll get you possibly back. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for us gathered in this place. And we pray, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts. I ask that if anyone here tonight uh, feels the need to offer forgiveness for the wrongs that they have known, and have been done to them. I pray that you'll warm our hearts, that we, you will help us know that it's a wise thing to do, even though it's hard. It will have wonderful effect. It makes sense because of your forgiveness for us. And we have no idea that the blessings that will flow from it. And Lord, if some of us need to receive forgiveness, pray that we will not stand on our dignity, but we will accept and move on. So, Father, we thank you. Bless us now in the final moments of our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.